Our text this morning comes from the scripture in the Gospel of Matthew, the 19th chapter and the first six verses. Hear now once again the words of the living and true God. And it came to pass that when Jesus had finished these sayings, he departed from Galilee and came into the coasts of Judea beyond Jordan, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him, and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And he answered and said unto them, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife? And they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore, they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. With the Lord's help, let us open up the sense of these words, but especially those from the fifth and sixth verses, where we read, And they twain, or two, shall be one flesh. Wherefore, they are no more two, but one flesh. Repetition is the mother of learning, so the saying goes. In the sixth verse of our text, we find the repeating of an idea that the two in marriage are coupled together as one flesh. Whenever we see repetition in the Word of God, it is telling us that this is a point of emphasis. The Lord Jesus, in the context of the Pharisees' question, or trap actually, quotes from the opening chapters of the book of Genesis. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. But then Jesus reiterates the point and emphasizes it. Wherefore, he says, they are no more two, but one flesh. Why is this point so important to Jesus? He makes this repetition in order to draw the following conclusion. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man put asunder or separate. Jesus is answering a question about the lawfulness of divorce, but as we look through the scripture, we find that there is no other relationship under the sun which is described in these terms. Where else in the Bible do you read that the two should become one flesh except in the bonds of holy matrimony? These words of emphasis from the Lord Jesus as he quotes from the scriptures of the Old Testament on marriage do not only instruct us about divorce, but they also teach us that the marriage bond is unique and that marriage is the primary human relationship. The bond in marriage is unique. There is nothing else quite like it. Where else in the scripture do you read of any other family relationship where two individuals become one flesh? In the original language, the word for flesh can mean different things. It can signify quite literally the compacted muscular substance under the skin of our living bodies. But in our text, it means the whole person body and soul, with all our faculties of reason, will, and affection. 
Here the word flesh means a whole human being, even because as a living creature we possess our human bodies of flesh. For in the beginning, the Lord God made us not only as a living soul, but also as a living body. The idea in our text here is that the bond between husband and wife is so close and so intimate that it is as if they are no longer two individuals, but one and the same person. We see this taught as well in the book of Ephesians chapter 5, where we are told that when the husband loves his wife, he is really but loving himself. As the biblical commentator Matthew Henry puts it, quote, a man's children are pieces of himself, but his wife is himself, unquote. So you see, the two becoming one flesh speaks to something far broader than merely the sexual union within marriage. It is true, conjugal relations in marriage is a representation of the profound significance of this marriage bond, but this one fleshness, if you will, is not to be understood as something merely physical. The marriage bond is, as Matthew Poole says, commenting at this place, quote, as if they were one person, one soul, one body, unquote. Jesus also speaks to this in our passage when he says, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female? When the Lord brought the first bride to the first groom, Adam praised his creator for making his wife out of the rib taken from his own body. In this way, her suitability to him as his companion and helper far excelled what could be possible with any other creature. For it is only with Eve that Adam can say, she is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Do you see what we are saying? The very creation of woman is caught up with her marriage. Here in that most exquisitely beautiful and pristine garden of Eden, the ordinance of marriage overlaps the ordinance of creation. As the Puritan John Trapp puts it, the man misses his rib and the woman wants to return to her old place at his side. They both long for the woman to rest again under the man's arm. Therefore, for the couple... There is no rest for either one of them until they can be reunited and restored to their places at the time of the woman's creation. This Puritan goes on to illustrate that sense of rest in marriage by the words of Naomi, as she suggests a prospective husband for her faithful daughter-in-law, Ruth. In the opening of the third chapter of that short and sweet book of Ruth, we read what Naomi says to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for thee, speaking of marriage, that it may be well with thee? Yet, as close as the bond was between Ruth and her mother-in-law Naomi, it was nowhere near as close as the bond that Ruth had with her husband Boaz. 
For the Lord did not take Adam's rib in order to fashion for him a mother. Marriage is the only thing that can satisfy that pang of longing for companionship. A man is restless until his wife is at rest by his side. It is not a character flaw, then, for a man to be lonely. In the Bible, we see that man's loneliness is the very reason why the Lord God created woman. In the second chapter of the book of Genesis, we read, And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. What follows is God's creation of woman in order to provide Adam with a wife. By the way, this biblical language of help meet is exclusive to the wife in marriage. No other relation is intended by this term. So it is a perversion to use the word help meet in reference to daughters who serve their fathers as is taught in some church circles, only wives are intended to be those suitable helpers for men. The Lord did not take Adam's rib in order to fashion for him a daughter. Marriage is our maker's singular blessing to meet the need of those who are lonely and in solitude. We find the same teaching in the 68th Psalm. In the midst of other enumerated blessings from the Lord, such as being a father to orphans and a defender of widows and delivering those who are bound in chains, on equal footing with these profound divine blessings, we also read, God set up the solitary in families. Friends, you must understand that biblically speaking, a man and a woman are in solitude until God sets them together as their own family. I would like to show you another illustration from the scripture for this unique bond of marriage. In the fifth chapter of the book of Ephesians, in the 31st verse, we find another place where that foundational text in the book of Genesis of a married couple becoming one flesh is quoted. Here we read that the man, quote, shall be joined unto his wife, unquote. The Greek at this place for the joining together of husband and wife is taken from a word for the bond of glue. The picture is that the couple is stuck fast to each other by being glued together. As you handymen know, a bond between two separate pieces requires enough time for the glue to set up, often in the tight grip of a vice. It requires that workmen give the joint enough time for the glue to dry, otherwise the bond will not hold. Family members and friends of a groom or bride You must not rush into the newlyweds' new life together while the glue of their marriage bond is still wet. Give them enough time for their wedding bond to set up. 
once dry, it will be the strongest of bonds. John Trapp, in his commentary at this place, uses this illustration. A table will often split in a part of the wood which is whole before it will come apart where it was once glued together. We all must take heed to this warning from our Lord, quote, What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder, unquote. But do not misunderstand. This warning is not just against the proverbial other woman, but for anyone who would come between the husband and wife. What has been translated here in the sixth verse as to, quote, put asunder, unquote, or divide or separate, in the Greek signifies putting a space or a gap between the two. Even family members must not stand in the middle between a recently married couple. I realize that this may not be easy for some of you, but even with good and affectionate intentions, your social involvement with the newlyweds may distance themselves from each other. Socializing can wait. A bird's nest must be built before there can be any eggs to hatch. We now come to a third way in which the scripture shows us that the human bond in marriage is unique. Again and again throughout the Bible, the Lord paints a picture of the relationship between Christ and the church by likening it to the marriage relationship between the husband and the wife. One passage where we see this fully mapped out is found in the fifth chapter of the book of Ephesians, where we read, The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. The connection of the husband to Christ and the wife to the church is profound and unmistakable. Indeed, in the 30th verse of this passage, the Apostle Paul invokes the very same language that we've been talking about from the creation account in connection with marriage. He says, quote, We are the members of Christ's body, of his flesh, and of his bones, unquote. And these are the same words which Adam uses in describing his wife Eve. Not only is marriage the most unique human relationship, but it is also the primary one. Not mothers and fathers, not brothers and sisters, not aunts and uncles, nieces and nephews or cousins, but the husband and wife bonded together in holy matrimony That is what is the most essential human relationship. 
We see this as Jesus quotes from that foundational passage in the book of Genesis. For this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife. For this cause. For what cause? For the reason that Eve was fashioned from a rib taken from Adam, so that now she is bone of his bones and flesh of his flesh. This is so profound to Adam that he names this new creature whom God had just made woman because she was taken out of man. Do you see the connection? Because Adam's bride came from his own body, because there is now such a deep correspondence between the two of them, because of this abiding and intimate bond found only in marriage, as Jesus says, they are no more two but one flesh, Therefore, because of all these things, shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. And when it says that the man shall leave, don't think that the instruction was intended to be only one-sided. Both the man and the woman are to leave their parents on both sides. To leave only one set of parents but not the other does not make things any easier for the couple. But do you understand what is being taught here? The scripture is teaching us that when there is no leaving of father and mother in marriage, then the reality of the couple is bonded together in one flesh is being denied. You have probably heard it said about marriage something like this. You know, when someone gets married, they're not just marrying that person, but their whole family. My friends, this is not a biblical orientation. When a couple gets married, they are not marrying a family. They are marrying each other and creating a new family for themselves. We should not think of a married couple as an extension to their current families. Instead, By virtue of the marriage, a couple shall leave their parents. In this sense, they are no longer part of their former families because now, through God's ordinance of marriage, they are starting their own new family together. This is true even if they are never able to have children. The married couple constitutes a family. As John Calvin puts it, Quote, the bond of marriage is more sacred than that which binds children to their parents, unquote. Some of you may find this objectionable, but this is God's design for the human race. The building block of human society is the nuclear family, not the extended family. Wherefore, there are no more two but one flesh, and It is for this cause that a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. Another way in which we see that the marriage relationship is primary is to return to the context that the Lord Jesus Christ is addressing in our text. That is the topic of divorce. In the original language, the word for joining together in the sixth verse, 
is borrowed from the yoking together of two beasts for labor in the field. The yoke must be solid and secure enough to ensure that the two beasts, though of great strength, would stay together and work as one. Here, the scripture is providing for us yet another illustration of the marriage bond. The married couple is paired together as if by a yoke, so that whatever they do, they do together. They are now so united that when one acts, it is all the same as if both take action. Yet, there is a significant difference here as well. The yoke in marriage is not made of wood or iron. It is a harness that may be removed by the farmer. The yoke of marriage is made of human flesh. The two shall be one flesh. This is a yoke which cannot be removed. The yoking together in one flesh of the husband and wife is irreversible. This is a permanent arrangement. The two are now one body and soul, one single person. The only way to get rid of this yoke is by committing violence to each partner in the marriage. The Lord God, who is the very excellency of love, hates divorce, as we read in the second chapter of the prophet Malachi. When a married couple divorces, there is a violent ripping apart of that yoke of flesh. As John Calvin expresses it, quote, He who therefore divorces his wife tears from him, as it were, the half of himself. Unquote. What remains for each one in divorce is only the jagged edges where the yoke was once in place. It is no surprise, then, that divorce is always a very painful ordeal to go through. But friends, I must ask you, and this takes us back to our point, do we read anywhere in Scripture of this same dynamic of divorce between a parent and child, or brother and sister, as what takes place between husband and wife? Ethically, do we find any discussion about which cases may be lawful and which cases may be unlawful in the divorce of parent from child? Or is this rather in respect to husband and wife? Do you see? Parents do not sue for divorce. Husbands and wives do. The marriage relationship is altogether in a different class than that of the parent-child relationship. Children are the fruit of marriage, and therefore, parenthood, as blessed as it is, is secondary. Our marriage relationship is the most primary human relationship. You who are married, are you closely yoked to your parents? To use the biblical language, the biblical language, have you left them yet? Matthew Henry, in his commentary, calls this marriage principle of leaving your parents and cleaving to your spouse the, quote, fundamental law of marriage, unquote. 
And if you want to achieve anything, you must always first master the fundamentals. Friends, if you are closer to your children than to your husband or wife, you are not living according to the most fundamental principle of marriage. Do you now live for your children instead of your husband or wife? Have your children become the love of your life? Are your children the ones who give you a sense of worth and significance in your life? Friends, don't you see, this makes for an upside-down family. Loving your children more than your spouse is not only bad for your marriage, but it is also destructive to your children. What your children need to see most of all is the love that their parents have for each other. Fathers, mothers, how can you best love your children? By loving your wives, by loving your husbands, more and more, better and better, every day of your marriage. As the pastor and counselor J. Adams once quoted, quote, the best way to be a good father to your children is to be a good husband to their mother. Unquote. We have seen a few ways in which the Lord illustrates the bond of marriage. It is like the woman being created from the flesh and bones of the man. It is like the two becoming one flesh. It is like a bond sealed fast with glue. It is like the yoke of oxen laboring together in the field. And it is like the union between the Lord Jesus Christ and his bride, the church. We have seen from the scripture that marriage is the primary human bond, but that it is also most unique. Where else do we find a relationship that is described in terms like these? Where do we hear of two other family members becoming one flesh? What other relationship in the world consists of the very circumstances of our creation and yet also is a picture of our redemption in Christ? Yet whenever we attend a wedding before our very eyes, we become witnesses to the formation of this very same and special bond of marriage. The point of emphasis which Jesus made in our text will apply to that newly married couple as well. Wherefore, they are no more two, but one flesh.